But this is a really important uh, Sunday uh, because today myself, Mark Randall, the elders uh, of this church, Sam Taft, are on a commission to say to Marshall that we see God's uh, hand on him, we're going to extend the right hand of fellowship, and that you as his church have elected him to be a pastor. And so we're, I'm here to, to preach this and then to give the charge to that. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or turn in your bulletin, I invite you to keep this open because you're going to need to follow along to Colossians chapter 4. I chose a passage that's full of names. You're going to read this passage, you're going to say, what are we supposed to get from this passage? Just a list of names. And most of these names don't have a hospital named after them, don't have a monument named after them, uh, don't have a uh, university named after them. I just came back from Scotland, uh, which is like a uh, uh, sculpture and statue galore city uh, country. There's not one of some of these guys and girls that I'm going to mention to you. But as you'll see, uh, there's a lot to learn from these folks. And the reason I chose this is twofold. One, there's so many attributes of some of these folks. Marshall, I want you to hear the Lord giving you encouragement with as a pastor tonight. And then each of you has a name that God intends to uh, have a significant role and value in his kingdom. And I don't know why you're here tonight, if you come to church here all the time, or if this is the first time you've been here. Uh, I hope you'll see that your name, just like these names, matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so hopefully by looking at these names, you'll see your own value in the Lord's kingdom. So let's read the passage and then we'll ask God's blessing on it. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord Jesus. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to see this passage in its most individualized way. These are individuals who you have known their name from the foundation of the world, and all of us here have a name that you have known from the foundation of the world. I pray that you would do what only your spirit can do, is take these words and this day and speak to these individual hearts. Lord, I do pray that we would all be encouraged to live a life worthy uh, of the calling that you have given us. Pray particularly today that Marshall would be encouraged, that the team that is around him of men and women, fellow servants in the gospel, that they all in this room would be encouraged to do this ministry together. 
Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a, um, a guy that was an auctioneer at a, at a, a state sale. And he, was, uh, he had an old violin, you know, uh, an old instrument, antique instrument, that looked worthless. And he started the, he started the, uh, the bidding on this instrument at $50. And he worked his way all the way down to $3. And nobody wanted to buy this antique violin that looked worthless. And at $3, a man over in the corner said, whoa, whoa, hang on a second. And he got up and he came over to the violin that looked terrible kind of dusted it off, tuned it up, and played the most beautiful piece, Mozart, Beethoven piece, whatever it was. And the auctioneer grabbed the violin back and said, let's start the bidding at $1,000. And he got up to $4,000 and it sold. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. What was the difference? This common instrument at $3 was worthless, was touched by a master violinist and is worth increased. And I, that's, what I, that's the bottom line message I want you to hear tonight, is all of these folks in this passage, for the most part, are ordinary violins. <laughs> uh, they don't have much worth in themselves. You probably feel that way. I certainly feel that way. But when you get touched by the master of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have infinite value assigned to you. Okay, that's, that's my thesis, is that you would see your unreal value in Christ because he has touched you. Okay, so let's dive in. If you're, if you're a note taker, I've called this the power of a team. Uh, we saw in the Exodus passage, Moses needed a team. And if Moses needed a team, Marshall needs a team. If Marshall needs a team, we all need a team, right? Marshall's the most gifted uh, relational guy I know. And he would say up front, I need a team. And we've got a room full of people who can be a team for the Lord Jesus Christ in this, in this ministry. So I'm going to talk about power players. Uh, and those will be the first play. Then we'll talk about power enhancers. And I'll tell you why I chose that word in a second. And then last we end with a, a warning person who's a power taker. And you don't want to be that guy. And I'm going to talk about that at the end. And then we'll come back and finish it up. So let's, let's dive in. The power, power players. First one we see is Tychicus, verse 7. It says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a, look at his words, beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage our hearts. Most scholars think that Paul is writing this uh, letter from jail in Rome. And so, as was his custom, he wasn't writing the letter himself. He was dictating it to someone else. And that Tychicus was that, that scribe. And so he's dictating this letter to Tychicus, which right off the bat tells you Tychicus is joining with Paul in jail. Now, this isn't like jail like we know where three, get three meals a day and can play basketball in the yard and can lift weights. This is a Roman prison, and they are in prison because they are traitors to Caesar because they have said Jesus is the king, not Caesar. They are, and Paul is waiting a Neronian execution. Okay, this is no small deal. Tychicus is their weapon. And he says to the people of Colossae, he'll tell you about our activities. He's a beloved brother. The word brother conjures up all of that familial uh, unity that you have with a brother, someone who is close to you, someone you love dearly. He was that kind of person. He was a faithful minister. And he follows up with a fellow servant, which is Paul's greatest word to talk about himself, doulos, a bondservant, someone who is in chains, not in bondage, but literally in chain to Christ. His heart, his mind, his life, his resources were a servant to Christ. And this is what he says about Tychicus. This is the kind of man Tychicus was. And I've thought about this guy a lot 
Because there, seriously, there's no statue, there's no university, there's, no, there's nothing in history other than this writing right here about Tychicus. Maybe it's because he has a weird name and it doesn't sound good on a university letterhead or something like that. But make no mistake, we have the gospel that got to Laodicea, that got to Heropolis, that got to Colossae because this brother took letters with risk to his own life to do this. And one day I was sitting in the, in the my, my wife and I have some military guys in our family and I was in the office of one of them and he's, he's a high-ranking military official and on his desk they have this, uh, this little pamphlet called A Letter to Garcia. If you've never read it, go Google it. It's amazing. Or you, it's sometimes called A Message to Garcia. And here's the bottom line thing about this letter. And they pass it down all through the brass because this is how the military wants their orders to be followed. And it goes something like this. The President of the United States in the early 60s wanted a message sent to a, a, a foot soldier in the Peruvian mountains. And he didn't know how to get it to him. So the President goes down the chain of command and says, I want this letter sent to Garcia. Well, it makes its way down the chain, and a little corporal says, I'll take it to him. And, he, and the, the, the letter goes on, or the, the little booklet goes on to say that he went over mountain and river and jungle, and seven days later, he delivers the message to Garcia. And the reason the military uses that is they say, what that little corporal did when he received the order, he didn't go, well, what does he look like? Or what's his address? Or how am I going to find him? What, what is, I don't know anything about He just got to work with the assignment and figured it out. He was a faithful worker and got the letter to Garcia. And I thought about that when I think about Tychicus. This is the kind of servant Tychicus was to Paul. I need these letters to get all over the world. Tychicus, take them. And he did. What a, what a, what a wonderful power player. The second one, the power player is Epaphras. And without embellishment, this is the third guy when I get to glory I want to meet. I want to meet Jesus, obviously. And I can't wait to see Paul. And then I want to meet Epaphras. And here's why. Look at, look at verse 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, meaning he was a Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. If you were to turn over to Colossians 1, which you don't have to, I'll just tell you what it says, and trust me. Verse 7, it says, The gospel got to Colossae through the mouth of Epaphras. Little known fact to most of us is Paul never set foot in any of these cities. He didn't go to Laodicea, he didn't go to Heropolis, and he didn't go to Colossae. How'd the gospel get there? Epaphras. Epaphras is the one who took the gospel. He met Paul in Ephesus. A few years before, and he goes back to his homeland. And Paul says, I can give witness that he is struggling on your behalf, and he has worked hard for you. This is incredible. Let me give you a quick geography lesson about this, because it'll, it'll drive home the significance of this. All right, so in this area of Asia, if I had a map here, you can just kind of view this. There's the, what they call the Lycus Valley. There's a river that runs through here. It goes from the north uh, in Heropolis, down to Laodicea, which is in the middle, and down to Colossae in the south. And in Heropolis, there's hot springs where they would go and add all this healing. And all. By the time it got down to Colossae, it was cold. Right in the middle was Laodicea. Now, if you know your Bibles, Jesus in Revelation 3 had a very scathing thing to say to the church at Laodicea. He said, because you are lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. Well, he would have got that because the waters flowing from Heropolis down to Laodicea would have been getting lukewarm before they got cold 
down in Colossae. Why is that significant? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ would have never had to give a church a rebuke if there wasn't a church there. How was there a church there? Epaphras' ministry. Paul never went there. The gospel multiplied through someone who doesn't have a statue named after him, doesn't have a university named after him, doesn't have any accolades other than the fact that he took the gospel to one of the hardest reached places in the world, Southern Asia Minor. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. And it says about him that he was a faithful prayer, a faithful witness. That's, that's number two. Number three, Aristarchus, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And when I was studying this, I was just struck by those two words, fellow prisoner. Something tells me, we don't know for sure, that he wasn't there voluntarily. That he was there because he was with Paul when he was being arrested. That he was with Paul when things were going south and the riots and Ephesus. That he was with Paul through the beatings, the near-death experiences, the stonings. And what, what, what struck me about Aristarchus, and we all, we all know this, is we know those people that when you have gone through the most difficult times in your life, you have the Aristarchus right there with you. This is Paul in one of the darkest moments of his life in jail, about to be martyred by Nero, and he's got his buddy, fellow minister, fellow prisoner, Aristarchus there. We all need those people. Whether it's the loss of a child, the the, the diagnosis of cancer, a, a loss of a job, a struggling situation with a child at home, you need an Aristarchus who will be in prison with you. And Paul had that brother sitting there. Alright, the last, there's lots of other names that we could talk about power players, but the last one is Nympha, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. I love this. Uh, Marshall, me, Mark, Robert, all of us have been to seminary, had lots of classes on systematic theology and studied all the languages, not one class, not even one minute given to Nympha. Uh, did you ever have a class on Nympha? And here, Paul says, here's this woman, Nympha, who has the church of Jesus Christ meeting in her home. This wasn't like, oh, we'll have coffee and tea and some brownies. Y'all come over and we'll Bible study together. And we'll, we'll have... This was against the orders of Rome. This was an illegal meeting. This was a backdoor thing. And she said, the church meets in my home. And I just love that the Holy Spirit let us know what she was doing. She was hosting the church of Jesus Christ in her home. And it was so significant, Paul wanted her greeted in his letter. Make sure you tell Nympha hello for us. Give my greetings to her. Pretty cool. All right, now, let's move on. Power enhancers. The reason I chose this one is sometimes on a team, there are those players on your team that bring out your weaknesses. Right? There are people that are a challenge to be on a team. There are people who have a story that forces the team into thinking about things differently. And there are situations that a person on the team brings out that, oh, that's, that's something the team needs to embrace as a weakness. We all have them. And Paul had them too. Let me, let me show you. First one is Mark. Look at, uh, look at verse, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't have my glasses. Verse uh, 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. When he comes to you, welcome him. Now you look at that verse and you go, I- I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of Mark. All right, let me, let me connect the dots. This is where Scripture gets really fun. Because, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. All right, well, this, this letter was written in about 60 A.D. 
this, this letter to Colossians. Well, in about 25 AD, there's a council that met in Jerusalem to argue about how are we going to transition this gospel from a Jewish gospel to a Jew and Greek gospel? And what are the requirements going to be? Well, that happened in 25 AD. Just after that section of the Jerusalem Council, the Holy Spirit puts this little passage in there that Paul and Barnabas are buddies. And they're getting ready to go back and visit some of their churches in Acts 15. Paul says, hey, I want to take Silas. And Barnabas says, I want to take Mark, my cousin. Paul says, uh-uh, I don't like him. He deserted us in Pamphylia. I didn't want him on my team. And the scriptures say they had a sharp disagreement. The Greek literally is like they were shouting at each other. They, they were at each other's throats over Mark. Paul says, not taking him, don't trust him. Barnabas says, okay, I'll take him. And as a result of that division, two world-changing mission agencies were formed. Paul and Silas, Barnabas and, and Mark. But now, that, that was in 25, 30 AD, 30 years later. Look at what Paul is saying. Mark is with me, and concerning whom you have instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And then seven years later, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this. Bring Mark with you, because he's a help to me in the ministry. What happened? What happened between 30 A.D. and 67 A.D., 37 years, that Paul said, I want Mark with me? Well, I think what happened for both Mark and Paul is the gospel was expanding out there. But the gospel was also, maybe even more importantly, expanding in here. The gospel was having its way in Paul's heart, in Mark's heart, that they could then have division, yet forgive each other. They could, they could be on opposite teams at one point and re be reconciled so that Paul says, bring him with me, I need him. He's valuable to me in my last days. That's the power of the gospel. All teams have those situations. It's okay to have conflict. It's okay to have division. Deal with it in Christ. Reconcile, forgive, repent. That's how a good team in Christ operates. All right, the third power, the second power enhancer, Onesimus, verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, beloved brother who is one of you. Okay, so he's a Colossae. He's a Colossian. There's a whole book of the Bible. It's called Philemon. It's at the end of your Bible, written to a guy named Philemon about this man, Onesimus. The whole book is about this guy. Why? He was a slave, and Philemon was his owner. And Onesimus escaped the slavery uh, of Philemon and went and got, uh, became a Christian in Ephesus with Paul. And then he wants to go back, and he's like, I don't want to go back because my, my master Philemon is, is going to be upset. So Paul writes a whole letter. When Onesimus comes back, you welcome him in Christ. And in fact, in one point in Philemon, he says, whatever debt, personal or financial, Onesimus owes you, charge to my account. Again, I love this. Here's Paul writing to the people. This situation with Onesimus, how we welcome back slaves. How we welcome back people we don't have good uh, relationships with. How do we reconcile an oppressive uh, landowner with his subjects? How do we do that? You do it in Christ, and Onesimus is coming back, and I want you to greet him in Christ. He's a faithful and beloved brother. You can do this. This is how the church operates. You've got to work hard at these tense relationships. Onesimus is a prime example of those tense relationships bearing fruit. All right, the last one is Luke. Last power enhancer, Luke, 
Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. There's a couple of reasons why I love this. Luke wasn't a minister. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't have an MDiv. He hadn't gone through all this uh, process. He went through med school. I don't know if they had eight years then or whatever it was, uh, but he was a doctor. Okay, so that's the first thing that's cool. He was a doctor on on Paul's team. But then you start going, wait, Paul had a live-in doctor with him. (laughs) How many of you guys have a live-in doctor? I don't. Uh, Some of us probably need it, right? But what this tells us about Paul and historians have said this is he was incredibly frail. Some said he had uh, leg issues. Some said he had eye issues. We can for sure that he had wound issues. He was beaten three different times to the point of death. So maybe he had to have somebody on call all the time just to dress his wounds. What What I think the point here I'm trying to say is Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then I am strong. That weakness is one of relational and spiritual frailty, but it was also one of physical frailty. He was not the end-all, be-all. He and Marshall and me and you, none of us are omni-anything. You are not all-present. You are not all-powerful. You are not all-smart. There's one who is that way, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only omni in the universe. And I think the fact that Paul had a live-in doctor screams he was weak. He was frail. All right, let's finish the passage with the power taker. Again, this one's going to be strange from this passage because it doesn't tell the full picture, but Scripture does. Demas, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So at this point in 60 AD, Paul has a connection with Demas. And Demas is with Luke. Demas is with all these folks. He's getting a greeting. Seven years later, in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul would say this, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Seven years. He goes from being with Paul, getting a greeting from prison to another church, to seven years later, he's not with me anymore. He deserted. Why did he desert me? He was in love with the world. And folks, I just want to say this as a warning. Worldliness, worldly thinking, worldly ambition, love of money, posturing, selfish ambition, hard-heartedness, whatever it is. Don't be a Demas. <laughs> Don't be a Demas. That's, that's in Scripture as a warning to all of us. The world is a lure. It will attract you away from Jesus. Don't abandon Jesus for the world. So don't be a power taker. All right, now, let's finish the passage. Verse 18. So this is where, like, you know, in the Braveheart movies, the music kind of goes real, gets real intense. Okay, just hear that, right, when we get to this, all right? Okay. Colossians 4.18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, remember I told you Tychicus was the one writing this letter. He's the one writing up until this point. And then Paul says, give me the pen. Now grab a moment there. This was Paul's way of autographing his letters for authenticity. Because there was a lot of false things going around. This is his way of authenticating, it's me writing to you. But it was also his way of saying, whatever I'm about to say, listen up. (laughs) I've grabbed the pen, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And he says two small sentences. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. 
Remember my chains. This was often something Paul would say in his letters. Remember me. And it was usually connected to prayer. Remember me. Pray for us. Pray that we'd find peace. Pray that the doors would be open. Pray for us. Remember me. But he says specifically, remember my chains. I think he's saying, remember that the gospel will go forward with suffering. Remember it will go forward with much opposition. It will be messy. People will go to jail. People will have broken relationships. People will not like what you're about. Remember my chains. I have a living doctor. I have friends here who have stuck it through thick and thin with me. Remember I'm in jail. Remember this is hard. And I think he would say right on the back of that, remember this is hard for your Savior. We're about to take communion in a minute. And what Marshall will say is, this do in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the suffering Savior. And Paul says, remember my chains. He would tell the Colossians, I am here to fill up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What's lacking in the afflictions of Christ is Christ himself being able to show you, here's the... Here's the nail prints. Here's the spear wounds. I died for you. How did he choose to do that? Me and you. We show up to a dying world, a needy world, and say, there is a suffering Savior who heals all of your wounds. He was bruised for your iniquities. By the, by the punishment that brought you peace is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, remember my chains. And then he finishes with, grace be with you. We are in Christ our we who are in Christ are people of grace. He, he would say to them, it's not going to be about your resilience, Tychicus. It's not going to be about your prayer life, Epaphras. It's not going to be about your ingenuity, Mark and Luke. It's not going to be about us having a good strategy and a good plan and all this stuff. It's going to be about grace. God's grace will sustain us, and God's grace will bring us forward to allow us to stand in the most difficult times. And you understand the times here, right? Just from your own history. This was a difficult time in history. In just a few years, Nero was going to set on fire these Christians as torches to light the city. You know, they needed to hear, grace be with you. You're going to need grace in that hour. And so he would say the same thing to you, friend. You're going to need grace in these hours. Okay, what is God calling you today? I don't know where you are. I don't know how this lands on you. Perhaps it's simply that you need to get in the game. Maybe you're here tonight and this is the first time you've been in church in years. Or maybe you've never come to church. Maybe you don't understand the gospel. Maybe this is your time to get on the team. I would, I would encourage you. Come talk to me. Come talk to Marshall. Come talk to somebody who brought you. This is significant enough that you should be a part of this team. Secondly, perhaps you need to know your role on the team. I'm sure Justin and Marshall and the elders would love to talk to you about how can you be a part? How can you be a Nympha? How can you be an Aristarchus? How can you be an Epaphras on this team in Lexington? And then lastly, perhaps it's a warning to you to flee harmful attitudes and behaviors like Demas. Maybe it connected with you that I'm, I'm headed that way. Maybe it's not today, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting my toe in the water that in seven years I probably will desert Jesus because I'm in love with the world. I would just beg you to get that in check tonight. Bring that under the surrender of the Lord tonight. So you can find yourself in that passage. Let me pray, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer what I, what I'm, you can see the vows that Marshall and you guys are going to take. 
as my quote charge and these vowels, I'm going to connect them to these guys. Uh, when you'll see how we do that in a second. So let me pray, and then we'll 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 do this this installation. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture that teaches us so much about very real people in very real situations all over the world. Lord, I pray that you would let us see the lesson you want us to see tonight, wherever we are. Lord, I do ask that you would raise up men and women from Hope Presbyterian Church that would be like Tychicus, faithful servants, beloved brothers and sisters. I pray that you'd raise up Epaphrases that would pray and struggle and work hard on behalf of the people of Lexington. Lord, I pray you'd guard us all from being like Demas, that we'd flee the world, that we'd pursue righteousness and love and faith. Protect us, I pray. And now, Lord, as we move to this this sort of final step in Marshall's journey here and Hope Presbyterian's journey, pray that Marshall would feel your hand upon him, that he now, in 2019, is a fellow servant, a beloved brother, a faithful minister. Lord, bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, Marshall, do we need you to stand? I guess that's probably appropriate. Okay. So there's three, three vows. Here's the first one. Are you willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? Okay, here's my charge to you here. The word there, are you willing to take charge of this congregation? You're going to have to be a Tychicus here. You're going to have to do some hard things. You're going to have to take letters across. You just told me about three of them back there back today. You're going to have to have those hard conversations, and you just said you're willing to do that. Bless you on that. Grace be with you on that. Second one, do you conscientiously believe and declare as far as you know your own heart that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? So this is basically saying, Marshall, will you not be a Demas? Will you do this for no worldly accolades? No, no statue will have your name on it. Uh, no university will, will call you the Wilmoth Hall of Greatness. You're going to do this because your desire is the Lord Jesus Christ and the good of his people. Amen. Number three, do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation? And will you be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects becoming a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, agreeable to ordination agreements? I do. And what I'll just say here, I'm a, I, I have been praying, and will continue, you'd be like Epaphras. That you'd pray for these folks. Uh, you know, that imagery that you see a lot of times that uh, a church is on the back of the kneeling pastor. Uh, how are you going to carry this load? You're going to carry it to the Lord Jesus Christ, struggling on their behalf. And then he said he worked hard for them. He worked hard on their behalf. If y'all know Marshall, he's a hard worker, and I know you're going to work hard on their souls, that you're going to care for their souls deeply. Amen. Okay, now to the congregation. Several charges for you. Number one, and you can, if you're a member of Hope Presbyterian, you can just answer, uh, I do or I will, uh, after it, and I'll give you a couple words with them. First, do you, the people of Hope Presbyterian Church, continue to profess your readiness to receive Marshall, whom you have called to be your pastor? 
Amen. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. I will. I do. Yes. Affirmative. Brothers and sisters, you you are now aligning yourself as Marshall's team. Beloved brothers and sisters, having the church in your home, praying with him, sitting with him in jail if need be. Hey, it's coming. I've been in Scotland. We're not far away from where Scotland is, and people are going to jail because of their faith in Scotland. Can you believe that? Scotland. It's coming. Number two. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? You understand that God put his hand on Marshall in a unique way as he did Paul, as he did those ministers in the early days to say, I want you to go and take this gospel and this unique place in history and this unique time in history. And he expected God's people to hear through his voice the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The scriptures say Marshall is an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are vowing that you believe that. And praise the Lord. You have a shepherd of your souls. Number three, do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? I mean, you can just read those names. Uh, if you read 2 Timothy, which I'd encourage you to do, at the end of Paul's letter in 2 Timothy, he talks about guys bringing him cloaks, guys bringing him the books he loved to read, taking care of his material needs. He would say to the church in Corinth, I have learned what it's like to be in plenty and in want. Marshall's going to learn that, and he's going to learn that because you help him. You help him in times of need. You caution him in times of, 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 uh, of abundance. But whatever it is, you're vowing to take care of this brother. Number four, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish with him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? You heard his vows. His vows were hard. He's not vowing to do this like Demas. Again, no statues, no accolades, uh, no stacked bank accounts. He's doing this because he loves Christ and he loves you. So those are your vows, Marshall's vows and yours. Let me pray that God would give you guys the grace to be as a team with these vows. Father, I thank you for Marshall Wilmoff and for Jenna. Thank you for Eden and Audrey and Brooks. And I pray in these moments you'd pour out your spirit upon them. Pray that these vows that they have lived for the last 20 years of their life internally and externally through Young Life and at Tate's Creek and here now. Lord, would you just continue to dig these commitments deep into their hearts. Give them all the grace they need. And I pray for hope, Presbyterian Church. I'm, I'm so encouraged to look out over a full room on a hot Saturday in July and to see your people eager to worship, to grow in grace, and God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on Hope PCA. Our city needs it. We need to be a city on a hill. A light that's not hidden. Well, we're going to need grace because it will be hard. The needs are great. The opposition is great. Help us. I give all this to you in the name of Christ. Amen.